talk to someone in the position of having a portfolio like yours it's just an unbelievable collection of images especially your black and white work we're going to get to all of that but to start off with how is it that you came to pick up a camera for the first time why are you now a photographer oh thanks um yeah i started i must be 15 years ago now i guess it's been a long time and it started out i'm, I'm an engineer by trade so i i, I don't do this for a living i, I actually work at a large oil and gas company. So, you know, one of those evil companies, <laughs> we don't actually say evil or think evil We're you know, but that's, uh, no. So my brother, uh, he knows that I've got an affinity for things that are, you know, interesting and innovative and electronic. And so 15 years ago, he's like, Hey, these camera things are pretty cool. And I, I was never really interested in photography too much. Um, but I, I picked up a camera just, uh, to kind of learn something new. I like to, you know, stay, stay, um, interested in new things. And that same week I, I met, uh, the woman that I ended up marrying. So my wife, uh, Hermine, uh, she, she worked on the same floor. And so she, uh, she was in a French acting troupe and, uh, she's like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to go and see, see the show? And I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. And so I start reading up on kind of low light photography and how to take, uh, images, uh, without flash so that, you know, I was kind of conspicuous and, and I ended up going to her first show and then taking photos of the, uh, of the troop and the play and, uh, they ended up using them and, and liking them. And so I ended up, you know, chasing my wife for, for the next 10 years, uh, literally, but, uh, <laughs> I, I also ended up shooting, uh, shooting for the troop and, and it was really fun. So I was like this, it, it became a, a, a pretty quick obsession. I had no idea that, uh, I, I would have never imagined that this would have captured my interest like it did, but, uh, yeah, that's how I started. To what you're doing now, though, like to, to jump into portraiture is quite intimidating for a lot of people. Having a camera in your hand to photograph like landscapes or buildings or things like that is, is usually pretty comfortable because there's no subject interaction. But to end up doing what you're doing with portraiture, what was that push through for you? Was that comfortable, that transition? Yeah, it was, it was a long transition. You know, it's, um, you know, when I was younger, I was pretty, pretty shy and reserved and, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 52 now. I hate to say that, but, uh, you know, if, as, as time has passed, I've got a little more comfortable with myself and, and being kind of open, but yeah, when I started 15 years ago, uh, shooting the troop was easy. Cause you're just, you know, you're kind of paparazzi. You're in the back of the crowd. You get to move around and can, you know, with all that freedom and, you know, you get to focus on composition and light and interesting aspects of things, capturing a moment, which was really cool. Um, people started asking me to take their pictures for, you know, LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever back then. And, and, you know, I started doing it and it was awkward and I, I would never want to show anybody those images today. That's for sure. Um, and then I, um, yeah, I actually, I took a film class. Um, I took a film photography class probably five years into it. And, uh, that was one of the assignments was portraiture. And, uh, so that was, that was fun, but yeah, I think it was really, really awkward. I think, I think a breakthrough for me was, uh, was, uh, was working with models. And I didn't do that until I, I actually attended a workshop. Uh, it's, it's the only, I, I attended two workshops. It was the same two guys that put it on. And, uh, the first workshop was, you know, it was all film photography based. And this was, I think it was five, six years ago. It must've been six years ago now. So, uh, it was, uh, Ryan Muirhead and Jan Schultz. So Mick Mojo. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Right? Yeah. So you're meeting your idols. Like I mean, these guys, I just, I follow their work and I'm just like, how do these guys do this? This is amazing stuff. And so I go to the first workshop and, and, um, you know, they're talking about and describing working with models and I'd never imagined working with a model. And I'd worked with a lot of normal people. I was taking portraits. Um, you know, I was getting better and better, I think at the time, but, um, yeah, I remember doing the workshop and of course I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, blown away by these two guys. And I, I was, you know, I soaked in every word and they had, and, um, but the second day, you know, they bring the models out to go shoot. And I was, I was so intimidated. Like I, I, I couldn't, I think I took six frames. I took six or seven images and, you know, there were like 10, 12 people in the class and three, uh, three or four models. And we had like the whole afternoon, but I was just, I was so uncomfortable for some reason. Cause I think for the first time I was, I was very aware that you know, normally when somebody wanted their picture taken, they'd come up and say, I need my photo for this. And so you're kind of doing them a favor. And for the first time, the dynamic was switched where the models were there to work with you, to fulfill your vision, to do something for, you know, that you wanted to do. And so I was like, I was kind of unprepared for that. I was very uncomfortable with sort of the relationship. You know, I, I, I think, I think going through that after, after the workshop, I, I didn't shoot a model for six, eight months. And I finally mustered the strength to contact somebody on Instagram. And, you know, we, we can talk about that later, but I think somewhere along the lines, what I figured out is that models are great to work with because they want to be in front of the camera, you know, and when you're working with normal people, it, I think it's a lot harder. Somebody who's who wants their portrait for, for this, that, or the other thing, you know, they're, they, they want a good picture. Um, you know, they want something that captures the essence of who they are and what they do. And, uh, but it's inherently a bit different because they're still kind of uncomfortable being in front of the camera. When you work with models, especially when you're working on some kind of shared vision, they want to be there. They want to, they want to create. And so it's a lot, it's a simpler dynamic, but having said that through that kind of journey through 15 years, I I feel very comfortable taking portraits of of anybody these days. Um, I think I've sort of got a, a sort of a method that I use that, um, that, kind of gets us both in sort of a comfortable, safe space, you know, that, that allows you to do that. But yeah, it was a very awkward and long transition. It was not something that was natural for me at all. Well, it's it's funny you say like the pressure being flipped in that sense, because to me it was, it was the complete opposite. I find even to this day, when I'm working with someone that's used to being in front of a camera, I kind of leave them to their own devices. Obviously, I, I do directing and whatnot, but in terms of me worrying about their end of things, as long as I feel like they're competent, I just leave them to it. And I feel like there's no pressure for me. But then when I work with someone who's not used to being in front of a camera, especially, I, I think it might be an English thing, but we have a lot of people in England, especially the younger generation, that they know they don't like a photo, but they don't know why, but they know it's your fault. And quite often with me photographing weddings, I have to deal with that. Um, so I feel a lot of pressure from that. How is it that you've you've fared with with photographing models then moving forward from that that initial attempt? Did you go the route of explaining that you felt the pressure or did you sort of cover it up and work through it internally? Well, I mean, I th- you know, at the workshop, it was I was I was very aware, too, that I was in the presence of, you know, these these mentors and these great these great other people that were in the in the class. I mean, everybody there was, was really was really quite talented and, you know, had their own stuff going on. And so it was just a bit intimidating to try and work in front of those guys. And, you know, so I, it was just a very awkward thing to start with. One of the guys I befriended in the, in the, in the, um, in the workshop, he just kept hounding me and hounding me, uh, 
directly. He's, I think he's, I forget, I think he lives in Switzerland, but he's like, Hey, did you contact him on yet? Did you do it? Are you going to make the step? Are you going to do it? And so after six months, you know, I, I finally reached out to somebody on Instagram, which was really, really for me, an awkward thing. And I was like, Hey, I, I'm, you know, I take pictures. Would you like to take a photo? You know, would you like to go and do a <laughs> session? And so I, I tried to set up something that was somewhat elaborate, interesting. You know, I got an old, uh, old Porsche car that, uh, that we decided to photograph and I kind of set up a, a bit of styling in this and that. And, um, and yeah, we went out and shot and the, the minute I started with her, you know, it was just me and her and my wife was there, uh, to help, uh, you know, with some of the styling and stuff, but you know, she's in front of the camera and she's just doing all this stuff to look great automatically. And so almost immediately that pressure went away because, because, you know, here you've got somebody who's very, very used to being in front of the camera, knows how to make themselves, you know, comfortable and look good. And so you, you give them a bit of direction. You say, let's, let's go for this or that or the other thing. And, you know, maybe show them some example photos or some, some, some ideas and, and then off you go. And then you're just, you're creating. And so you just make little minor tweaks and almost instantly that, that pressure fell away. I think when I had, you know, two or three, um, you know, pretty successful. She, I was lucky to work with, you know, her name is Josie. She's amazing. And, and so I was lucky to work with somebody that talented at a first go around, you know, she was a signed model because, you know, a lot of the models on Instagram, they're, you know, they're sort of, they're not professional models, you know, they're signed, signed with agencies and so forth. And so they're trying to become models and build a portfolio. You know, Josie was really established and she was, she was very good. And so right away I was like, wow, this is a completely different experience than I'm used to. And, uh, it, it took a lot of stress off, you know? If I could jump back to something you, something you brought up earlier was this jump to do a workshop with film photography. Why did you jump to doing film all of a sudden? Well, so I, you know, I, I'd done film before I, I'd taken, um, I'd taken two years of night courses, uh, on and off, uh, at, uh, it's a, it's a place we have in Houston. It's called the Glissel. It's, a uh, it's an adult uh, art school that's attached to the Museum of Fine Arts. And uh, so they had a film photography course and I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. So I, I took it and I started getting into film and, and, and I went through the whole process of, you know, learning how to, how to develop, how to scan, how to not scan, but to, to actually, you know, print in the, in the dark room. And um, through the process, we, you know, we did, yeah, we had all kinds of uh, assignments and, and we reviewed each other's work every three weeks this week. That was really cool. Um, but then I, I, after I went through that, I started getting into some, you know, I think everybody tries to convert their passion into, Hey, maybe this could be a career someday. Um, so I, you know, did some weddings and went back to digital cause you just, it was really tough to do film and weddings at the same time. I shot two or three and I was like, this isn't for me. Um, and I was kind of in this stuck place where, you know, I was, I, I didn't really know what I was, I wanted to do, whether it was portraiture or landscapes or or what have you. And I, but I, you know, when you're surfing through the net and you're, you're, you're finding work and you know, these things kept sticking out to me. So you keep saying, you save images, you know, you, you save work that really kind of speaks to you or inspires you. And, and it, it just kept on being, you know, uh, Jan Schultz's work, you know, and, and eventually Ryan Muirhead's work. And I'm like, okay, so this is really interesting to me for some reason. Um, and then you look at, you know, what, what they're producing and, 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 how they're doing. And you're like, you know, what's, what's different. And for me going to film is like, I, you know, I shot digital for a long, a long time and I'm really I'm, I'm good at the computers and this and that. But, um, so I got all the technical aspects, but for me, the issue was, um, making an image look the way I wanted to have character, to have some feeling or style or colorization or, or something. And so, you know, you're always trying to, you know, cause things are very sanitary. They're very, you know, very clean, very precise, very sort of accurate to real life. And, 
and so I'm, I, I get the, I get an image back on the computer and I like the photo itself. You know, I like the, the character or the model of the person or the, the scene. And I'd spend hours and hours and hours trying to stylize the image. So that it was more interesting to you know, kind of bring everything out of the image that I could. And, you know, then I'd, I'd look at a film image and I'm like, well, this is pretty much the way I want it, you know? And so I started shooting more film and, and I, I got interested in the film workshop. I went to that. And, and what I realized really quickly is that, you know, wow, my whole workflow changed. It's, I, I don't need to spend all these hours on a computer trying to figure out how I want to stylize it or what I want my style and colors to look like. It just came out that way automatically through this film process. And I could just spend time shooting, you know? And, and so for me, it was, it's again, a huge relief. Uh, Cause I, I got, I, I don't know how other people are, but I got stuck, you know, where you look at two or three or five edits of the same image and you'd spend hours and hours in this to, to, you know, to, to publish it into your portfolio. And I'm like, I, I can't pick, I can't even pick between these five images, which one I like better. And I'm like, this is crazy. It's madness. You know, I shot hybrid for a long time, probably a year, year and a half, even after the workshop. And, and I, I think I've, I've reached a point where I'd, I'd go to shoot. I had both the digital cameras and the film cameras and I would get to the point where I'm, I'm shooting in digital and I see an image. I, I, well, I like something about what I just shot. And I'm like, hold on, wait, stop. Let me go grab my film camera. Cause I really like this and I want to capture it the way I want to capture it. And I'm like, why am I doing that? That's crazy. You know, and cause you lost sort of that moment, you know, but in my mind somewhere I'd made the transition. If it's not on film, then it's not going to have the aesthetic or the look that I'm looking for. And it's just kind of, it's never going to be quite what I want it to be. And so, so all that time in between is now wasted, you know? So, so I, I sold my last digital camera, I think two years ago. Wow. I mean, let's, let's jump into cameras then since we're there. One thing I will say for anyone that is uh, listening is that I'm basically going to be using the podcast from about here onwards to, well, basically for nefarious selfish needs in the sense that I really want to steal essentially your entire portfolio and your skill set. So I'm just going to be doing a deep dive on how much information I can get out of you Spanish Inquisition style. But before we get to that, let's let's talk cameras then. So you got rid of your last digital camera two years ago. So what have you been working with since then? Yeah, well, so, you know, I, I said I'm an engineer and I, I like gear. So it's, you know, it's it's uh, when I'm not shooting, I'm looking at that stuff just because it's fun. I'd, I'd say my mainstay cameras, I've got, um, I shoot a lot today in studio with uh, Mamiya RZ67. Um, I've always got a Leica M6 with me. I, 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 I carry it with me, although I, I don't shoot it a lot. Oddly enough, I, I do carry it with me, but I bring it to every shoot that I go to. Um, I've got a Pentax 6.7 that I like. It's, uh, I like it better for outside than inside, uh, just for, um, you know, the, if, if I do use artificial light, you know, then, then that, uh, sync speed, uh, you know, the, the, RZ67 is a leaf shutter, so it'll sync up to any, you know, up to 400th of a second, whatever, whatever the top is. Uh, with the RZ, it's it's limited. I think it's 16th of a second, unless you buy a special lens. It's got the leaf shutter in it, so it's yeah, it's, it's just easier to shoot the RZ in the studio. Um, and then I've got my Polaroid cameras, which which I've got a uh, two Land 195s, Polaroid Land 195 cameras that I use, and that's that's those are the ones I really use. I've got other cameras, I've got, you know, a Contax T2 that sits on the shelf and I probably should sell. Um, I've got a Nikon FM3A, which is beautiful. I I was in California and I went to dinner and, and I had my camera and camera bag there. I was by myself because I was working and I left the camera bag there with my M6. And so I woke up at two in the morning in cold sweats and I'm like, oh my God, I think I left my camera bag there. And, <laughs> and I had a shoot. And so I, 
I, I was like, I'll never be able to afford an M6 again because they're going up like crazy in price. And it just doesn't make sense because while it's a fantastic camera, it's just kind of skyrocketed. And so I bought the FM3A that night on eBay uh, in just a mad rush to replace it so that I didn't feel as horrible as I did. And then I went to the restaurant the next morning and they had it. So, so now <laughs> I've got the Nikon sitting on the shelf, essentially. But, uh, but yeah, those are, those, are, those are the primary cameras I use. Well, obviously, uh, you've got two accounts on Instagram, one for your Polaroids. You might have more than that. I'm aware of two. Uh, one for your for your sort of standard portraiture work and then one for your Polaroid work. If you don't mind me kind of going through your shooting process a little bit here, because um, working with different cameras and and as someone that's recently adopted film incredibly poorly, I'm, I'm trying to get my head around how you guys jump from camera to camera and medium to medium um, in the way that you do and still have a successful shoot, whereas I just seem to be like, like a complete monkey trying to figure out how to use a, a bone as a hammer. Let's talk about how your shoots actually go. So you have a model arrive at your, say, your studio space that you're working in. How long is it before you start shooting? You know, I'm I'm super slow. I'm really slow, and I don't know if that's that's age or experience, but I, I like to be really comfortable. And so we, I, I book long sessions, which tends to get expensive because you book in studio time. So I, I typically book three hours, and I'll I'll spend the first forty five minutes or so just kind of slowly unpacking, talking to the model in the nowhere asking, you know, questions about this or that or the other thing, just to, to, to just relax, you know, just to, to get to a nice natural place where you're not kind of rushing in and go like, all right, what'd you bring? What are we going to do? Let's get on stage. Let's maximize the time here. And so it's a very slow process. And I think I've gotten slower actually, the, the longer I've done this. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sort of okay blowing sort of 45 minutes to an hour, just unpacking the gear and, you know, talking about sort of the slower process of film versus digital. Cause a lot of these people have worked in, with digital photographers and, you know, they're trained to, you know, click, move, click, move, click, move. And so it's just a really, they just, they can't stop and relax. And, and that's, it's completely different than, than my process, which is a lot slower where you're taking, you know, maybe 50 images an hour. It's a ton, you know, maybe I take 30 images in an hour, maybe 40 on a highlight. So instead of, you know, hundred or 200 images. And so it's just, it's a lot different. And so you kind of talk about that and, you know, and then you go through some, some ideas for, or concepts for the shoots and, and then you get started. So it's, it's really a, it's a, I start very slow and, but I, for me, it, you know, breaks the ice. It gets, gets us both comfortable, especially if I haven't worked with this person before, you know, it gets you sort of comfortable with, with who you are and how you act and, and, you know, the, you know, it's just getting to know somebody and relaxing them. In terms of your conversation during the shoot, I know this is obviously probably a bit of a pressing subject, especially for you poor people over stateside with everything that's going on lately. But do you have like no goes when it comes to what you talk about on a shoot to just kind of avoid essential confrontations and stuff. The reason I ask is because I've had, I've had two interesting conversations recently. One after a podcast where this came up and it's kind of led me down this rabbit hole of thinking about it. What do you and don't you talk about on a photo shoot? Can you kind of steer things to keep them positive and so on? And then uh, this came about because I had a photo shoot a couple months ago and the first question that was asked, the first thing that was said to me when we went to start shooting, so we did all of the, the pleasantries at the beginning and we talked about the plan and stuff. We get set up and then literally as I'm about to take the first photo, the model said to me, what do you think of Trump? <laughs> I had this, I, I'm not afraid to really talk about anything, but I have probably for the first time in my life, I had a moment of like, right, I've got to really plan my next movements here because that's a really open-ended question. And it feels like it's there only as a trap. 
one way or the other, regardless. And more to the point, I live in England. I shouldn't even be having to deal with this. But so, yeah, what, what's conversations like on your shoot? Do you keep it light? Do you keep it photographic? Do you just talk about the world? What, what are you talking about? I, I definitely don't talk about politics because it is, it's so polarizing. And, and you know, it's uh, our brief discussion before we get started here was was how polarizing it is. And, you know, I've I've I've. I've never seen anything like this in my, in my life, you know, where you you kind of, I've, I've cut sort of people out of my, my life that I, that, you know, the way they think, I just can't get my head wrapped around that. And so it's like, I just can't, I can't do that. And, you know, I don't, I don't post much politically on social media because I try and keep it just about sort of the work. Um, I think that, you know, people, you know, they spend enough time thinking about this and, and I don't want that to be what they think about when they're, when they're going here. It's not that I don't think about it and do my own things, but yeah, I definitely stay away from that whole conversation. Um, I'm not a big Trump fan, just FYI. So, but, but, you know, if you're, if you're in there with somebody who is, you know, and so, I mean, there was actually a recent shoot where I found out that, that somebody I was working with, you know, I, I go to this lady's Instagram account. She was somebody who was helping style stuff. She was, she's really pro Trump. And so I kind of muted her. So I was still friends with her, but I muted all her stuff. So I wouldn't see her stories come up. Cause I was like, I just can't, I can't, I can't deal with that right now. So, so yeah, definitely stay away from politics, sort of religion, but you know, you know, talk about family, friends, what do you do? What, what interests you for me? It's outside of the political landscape, of thing, you know, what really gets you cranked up about life, you know, what do you love to do? And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really wanting to start doing a lot more work with kind of artists, you know, so actors or actresses and, and musicians and people who are really kind of in other creative realms and, and wanting to photograph them in their natural place or in what, what they love to do. And so for model, it's, you know, they always have interests. And so how do you kind of loop some of that? in? so I've been, you know, shooting, you know, sh- shot a couple of ballerinas low, uh, recently too. And that's, for me, it's really, really fascinating where you get somebody who's, you know, incredibly creative and a completely different discipline and you get to talk about that and that's fun. So, so yeah, definitely stay away from politics, but, uh, that's, that's probably the only thing I don't, I mean, I don't get into anything really personal ever because, you know, it's, you just meet somebody. It's just, I mean, even in Texas where people are, you know, telling you they've been divorced twice when you're standing in the grocery line for some reason, you know, it's there, there are some boundaries. <laughs> so, and obviously like you mentioned earlier, you're, you're shooting at a much more relaxed pace when you're using film directorially. Are you someone that's, are you quite a stickler for detail? Are you a micromanager of like body position and stuff, or are you someone that's more free flowing and you just talk about mood? How do you direct the model? Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, I don't do this for a living. So, you know, I, I do almost completely all collaborative sort of work. Um, so I get to kind of pick who I want to work with. And, and I usually, you know, decide to, you know, spend, spend that time with somebody that's got sort of a shared view of things or shared uh, style or aesthetic. Ryan, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to comment a lot. I, I, I was thinking about before the interview here, you know, it's like, I, I don't want to give, I don't want to say something that sounds like mine when I stole it from somebody else. And so I'm going to credit Ryan Muirhead for this, but in one of the workshops, you know, he was, He's sitting there and he's talking about how, you know, how to, how to, how does he pose people or how to, how does he take photographs of people? And there was a guy sitting there in the, uh, in the workshop and he's sitting on a fireplace and he's all kind of contorted with his arms bent around and his chin somewhere. And that and he's like this right there, that's a photograph. I could never get this guy in that position where he's at right now by directing him. He sat there naturally. It's just what he did. And, and that's, that's, that's exactly the way I think of things is that, you know, these, these, these people that, that you photograph, they're, they're natural in, in whatever that they do. And, and so I try and stretch them a little bit. And in, in other words, you kind of say, Hey, I'm, let's, you know, 
I, I'll usually say, go sit on the floor over there. Just, you know, you're relaxing on a Sunday afternoon. You're doing this. You're thinking about that. Just go, go over there and sit down, you know, and, and then after a little while, stand up and just go over there and do this. Um, every once in a while, you show them a pose and you, you know, you, you talk about accentuating things. And so the things you, you sort of nitpick or move a little bit are, you know, like neck position or head or the angle of a hand or, or, you know, if they're leaning on a body part, you sort of get them to, to not lean so heavily. So it doesn't like bend, uh, bend or, you know, you know, do funny things to, uh, you know, to the image, you know? And so you make minor adjustments, you know, to things like that. But I think in general, I try and, you know, say, go, go stand over there and think about this and and you just kind of see how they go. And then you, you move around them. So it's, um, so it's more natural. Well, something I've always said with digital and, and on my workshops in the past, I've talked about it with the idea of shooting through things that aren't working. And essentially what it comes down to is I think the worst thing that you can do on a shoot with a model or on a shoot with anybody that's kind of trusting you as the person that's capturing their image is to tell them that they're doing a bad job or to, yeah. to reject the way that they're, they're doing something. And I quite often say like, you should never be saying no, you should be finding a way out from that by using yeses. But with digital, you can shoot through, you can take a few extra frames to let someone work out something that they want to try that you know isn't working, but you can use disposable frames. Probably one of the great uses of digital is to kind of cast away a few frames to ease them away from what it is that they're doing. With film, you can't do that unless you're a millionaire because it's going to cost you a fortune to do that every single time something's not working. So how do you go about working through something that's just not quite working with you and the model in in the studio? Well, I, I won't, I won't say his name cause I'm not sure that he'd want the models that not that he would listen to this or maybe he would, but, uh, I, I wouldn't want anybody going, Oh, that's his secret. But I heard a secret from a photographer once, uh, and, uh, it was, you know, have a 35 millimeter camera. You have have a couple and, and maybe one of them doesn't have film in it, <laughs> you know, and when things start working, you pick up the one that does and, uh, and it's kind of okay. You know, and I, I thought, Oh my God, that's brilliant. And, and, I haven't had to do that yet, but I do usually carry a camera that doesn't. So if, if something is going really awkward, then then I might do that. But uh, that's pure genius. Isn't that smart? Yeah. I was like, wow, who <laughs> thinks of these things? That's, he's a lot smarter than I am. But, you know, usually if something's not working, it's uh, it's light or pose or position or expression. And so you just you just kind of stop and you take a you, you take a minute, you take a, a break, you change the music, you change the outfit, you you just break the cycle and, and stand up. And, and, you know, just change things up, relax. A, a lot of times it's just simple, you know, if it's, if it's in the expression or the model's kind of uptight or tense, cause you didn't maybe relax in the first hour, then I just, I just blow out my, my mouth. I just like, okay. I just shake my face and I just relax. Just, okay. And cause you know, you, you, you tense up your face and your smile and your expression and your eyes and all that are kind of like, you know, that little bit of tension that's really awkward. And you're like, okay, just blow it out. Just relax. We're here having fun. The camera happens to be here. You put it down on the floor and you just talk, you know, so you just do other things to distract and kind of get them out of that tension spot, you know, if that makes sense. And then when things look the way that we okay, great. That looks great. Just stop right there. You know, look soft. All right. We're going to go and then you grab the camera again. Like the positive reinforcement kind of approach. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, usually it's, I, you know, this is again, something Ryan likes to say is that, you know, taking a picture is not the physical click of the camera. It's, it's how you got to that place where you, you, you know, 
whether it's it's an expression, it's a feeling, it's it's a, it's a pose, it's a it's whatever you know. It's all the work getting up to it, and the hard part of that is actually communicating with somebody or or getting in a place where you both feel kind of safe to explore. You know, being a little weird and you know stretching out and doing some kind of weird ballerina pose or or some shape or whatever you know. And and so you know sometimes you get there by just putting the camera down and and talking and and being goofy together. You know. And then you pick it up and then you take the image at the end. So it's, you know, the art of the photo isn't, isn't just, it's not the shutter button, you know? Well, let's talk about models for a second. Let's talk about these subjects because you've worked with some phenomenal people and produced amazing work with them. And I know you're going to try and sidestep this as you have done a couple of times with your humility, but I'm not going to allow you to do that. You're producing these absolutely incredible images with these models. You have to have developed a sense to yourself, at least, of what you think makes a model great compared to what makes them, to be polite, not great. So what does a model have to be or do to be a great model to you? You know, for me, it's being willing, being willing to be expressive, you know, and interesting. And, and so, you know, um, you know, I think in, in Texas, you know, we're, I'm not in New York City or L.A. or anything like that or Portland, you know, where you see a lot of these uh, people that are a lot more. Uh, you know, I'd say liberal or free or, or, um, sort of expressive with their work. And my, my work, I, I try and be a bit more expressive, you know, and around, around here, you get a lot of models that are their agency models, but they, they, in, in Houston, they get a lot of catalog work, you know, so it's, you know, they're, they're typecast and they're, and they're, and they're trained to do catalog work, which is very sort of safe and, and, um, you know, it's going to be published on some, some magazine for, for something. And so I look for somebody who's willing to, you know, who's got something in their work or their profile where, where you can see that they're willing to kind of step out of that and give you a little bit of expression or, um, you know, something different. And, and I'm, I'm looking for different as well. You know, something that's interesting about something that I find interesting about somebody's face or personality or what they say or, or whatever. So just people that are interesting to me in general, you know, and, um, again, you look at their body of work and, and, you know, I've been surprised. I, there was, there was a model that I kind of, I, I intentionally, you know, she was, she contacted me quite a bit to shoot and, and I kind of brushed her off sort of for a year and a half, which, you know, I wasn't trying to mean, I just, I wasn't that excited about working with her and I didn't, I wasn't crazy about the work that she had done. And, and we got together and we shot finally. And it was crazy. I was, it, the work was great and she was fantastic. She was 10 times better than I thought that she could be or would be. And so you know, I've been wrong. You can't, you can't judge people by what they post on Instagram or what they do all the time, but it, it is an indication. Um, yeah. And I've been, I've been lucky. There's only been a few shoots I've gone on in the last couple of years where I, I come out of it. I'm like, yeah, that didn't really work out very well. And you know, it does happen, but my hit rate's been, I've, I've been pretty lucky to work with some very talented people that uh, kind of had shared vision. So, but yeah, I mean, any, anybody who looks, looks interesting to me, you know, looks and, and is willing to, their work reflects something deeper, you know, that they're interesting. They've got views on life, passion about the world. They're kind of excited about some things and, and, you know, their, their Instagram feed isn't a bunch of, uh, kind of stereotypical images that are kind of self-promotional, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I think the e-commerce world has definitely damaged the, um, the talent pool of, of models. And obviously with model lives being a relatively quick turnaround, I guess, because of the emphasis on youth, having people come through with the sole purpose of being catalog models or e-commerce models or whatever you want to call it, it's kind of just, it's at that point where 
you, you, you're really limited with the ones that still have a little bit of a fire in the eye and, and still have the, the want to be expressive and emotive as opposed to just a sort of a, I don't want to be rude here, but in, in a lot of cases, a bit of a clothes rack. Well, no, you know, they're, and they're trained to do that, you know, and some are going to be able to break out and do other things and some won't, and that's okay. So I don't, I don't judge. It's just, um, you know, it's, it's not kind of what I'm looking for, but it's interesting that a lot of the, you know, several of the, of the people that I work with, they've, you know, moved on to New York, for example. And so they, you know, they're taking it on. So Sydney, I shoot, I've shot her quite a bit. She just, she just got signed with the New York agency. So I'm really excited for her, but uh, yeah, it's, it's cool. So one of the things that absolutely snapped me into your work and I haven't been able to kind of stop showing people what it is that you do is your black and white work, especially. I think you have this wonderful mix. And now that you've mentioned Ryan Muirhead and, and Jan Schultz, I can definitely see that. I think you're mixed between that and a lot of the really interesting high fashion supermodel work that was being done in the mid to late 90s and sort of drowned out with the era of digital when everything became polished and sterile and gross. You have this wonderful personality, but also really good eye for tremendous light and wonderful angles. I need to know because I'm getting very frustrated myself. I've not been shooting film for particularly long, but I suck at it with a capital S. How are you getting such incredible black and white portraits? What's the secret with film and black and white portraits? It, you know, it's funny. I gravitate towards black and white because I think I stink at color so much. You know, I, I have trouble with, with, I have trouble with color. And so black and white is easy for me. It's just easier. Um, I I'd say that, you know, with, you know, digital or film, the first thing you look at is light, you know, you look at light and shape and, and, and that type of thing. And so, so again, you know, the, the workshop helped uh, studying online and you know, Ryan Murray, he had a show a long time ago. It's kind of how I found found some of the stuff uh, it was called filmed or something. I think it's on YouTube. I think you, yep. you might've mentioned it. Yep. And it's, I mean, it's goofy in places, but it's a lot of great content, a lot of really cool people. Um, and uh, you know, they had a light walk for example, and they talk about that stuff in the, in their, in their job. I sound like an advertisement for, <laughs> for their workshop. <laughs> if you've got the means, you know, I'll Ferris Bueller, if you've got the means, I highly recommend it. But um, yeah, you know, you, you, you always start with the evaluation of light, you get somewhere interesting where, you know, the light is, is going to be, is going to be part of the composition and part of the, uh, part of the spirit and understand light from all aspects, you know, so all the different shapes and types of light, you know, the different sources, uh, and, and, you know, be, be comfortable with that, you know? And so that just, it's a lot of experimentation and a lot of trying. Um, I've shot some back, back, uh, backlit stuff that I, I thought this is never going to come out. And, you know, you so see, you take two or three experimental shots and I've got, I've got a photo hanging on my wall to the left. that was from that shoot where I was like, this is never going to work. And I get the image back. I'm like, Oh my God, this is crazy. That's, that's not exactly, that's not, I could have never imagined that would come out the way it did. And so you never, you never know by not trying. And so I'm shooting more and more light types as I get more familiar and I'm willing to sort of, uh, you know, experiment a bit, but I'm always, you know, I'm always like when I book a studio, I know where the light's going to be at a certain time of day for that studio and where the, where the windows are and how I can do things when I have to, when I have to venture into using artificial light, it really kind of ticks me off. And so if I pick the wrong time of the day or the studio is not working out or, or whatever else, you know, I'll break out the, the studio lights, but it's not my first choice. And so just studying, you know, where it's going to be and how you want to shoot it. And then what I love about natural light, honestly, is, you know, you can move around it when you shoot in studio lights, it's like, okay, you, you, mark an X with tape on the floor and you say, okay, stand right here. That's where I've got the light set up. And it's going to be perfect if you stand or sit right here. 
and then you can't really you, you can't really move around that much and so you're you're kind of stuck you're constrained in this box and it's it's i find it can very restrictive and when you're working around the natural light source you know you can kind of move around it and get all these different types of lighting just by kind of moving around the subject and so if you find a pose or, or an action or an expression or something a scene that that really gets you excited you can get different really really very different images of the same shot the same scene with different lighting effects that are really profound and you know can be interesting just by moving around the subject and so once you find an image or some scene is working for you you know you just you just move you move 30 degrees you move 180 degrees you get behind the subject you get to the side and and just shoot it and you know maybe you change the exposure a bit to compensate for its backlit or its direct lit or, or those types of things but but you know yeah, start with the light. You know, that's what I, I always start with the light. You get into a place where that's kind of covered and you're in a place that the light is interesting and you can work around it and, and build that as part of your, your composition. And then the, then you can focus. Once that's done and you're working in that great environment, then you focus on, solely on the model because you know that you've got the light covered and it's, it's good and beautiful and interesting. Well, I feel exactly the same way as you do when it comes to studio work with artificial lights. I mean, we we basically don't have natural light in England. We have it for about three days a year and then we just go back to being sad. But when it comes to the artificial light, I agree with you, that kind of bracket that you have to work within in the sense of like, they're there, you're here, no one can move was was really the sticking point for me when it came to studio work. And it was actually a guest I've had previously on the podcast, a, a gentleman from Australia called Peter Coulson, who I watched one of his tutorials and he was just like, look, I'm going to stick a softbox here and I'm going to walk around it and the model's going to turn and we're just going to shoot and we're going to find what we like. And I realized how much rigidity he took away from studio work by just basically telling the rules to fuck off essentially and that I'm going to go and do my own thing and we'll see what happens. And to see him actually drag good results out of that was what, what terrified me. <laughs> you know, he doesn't. Yeah. And I, I actually, you know, I, I watched a lot of his stuff uh, when I was, well, I'm still learning, but you know, when I was early on in things and I, I loved his studio work. And so I actually copied a couple of his light setups and I use those as part of my standard. So, you know, the, the overhead and a, a few of the, a few of the lights scenarios that I really liked his. So yeah, he's very creative with that light, but <clears throat> I mean, natural light still for me, it's just so, it's so uh, it's just so much easier, you know? It just, it takes one more thing. It removes one more thing to think about so that you can focus on sort of what's really important, which is the subject. So I think when you've got to deal with artificial light, then you've got just an added layer of stuff to think about that, that, that complicates things. And maybe I need to switch from, you know, studio flashes to constant light or something. And that would help. I don't know. But, uh, and like I say, I'm comfortable with it. You know, I've, I've shot studio lights, um, you know, pretty, pretty frequently. So I'm, um, I'm not, not practiced in it. I just don't prefer it. You know? I mean, not to keep sticking back to a previous point, but I'm definitely not doing this entire podcast as a way of stealing from you at all. But <laughs> what film stocks are you using to shoot black and white? Um, yeah. Okay. So I use, um, I use T-Max 400 for my 35 millimeter, um, because the film grain is just finer. And, uh, I, I found Tri-X, uh, the grain with 35 millimeter format was just, it was too much. It was a bit overpowering. Um, and then, I, but I shoot Tri-X 400 for my 120, my 120 work. And it's perfect. I, I think it's, for me, it's perfect. It's got crazy latitude and it's easy to do. You can screw up exposure a bit and it'll compensate. And, and I'm definitely still not stealing here, but you're shooting box speed. Yeah. Uh, well, no. So I, 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 I tend to overexpose. Um, I'll, I'll overexpose by it. Well, I mean, okay. So shooting box speed, I, I, I use a spot meter. Mm -hmm. It's again, something I, I, again, cause I don't want to 
act like I'm stealing these guys' ideas or I, I thought of this stuff myself. Uh, it's another workshop thing. And so I use a Pentax uh, digital spot meter from back in the 90s, I think it is. And, and you know, you, you spot meter basically the highlights and the shadows and you decide kind of where you want things. So I've got a zone meter on top of the of the uh, spot meter and and basically the highlights I put at, a, at you know, a zone seven on, on, the, uh, on the meter and that's how I meter. Um, for Polaroids, I go two stops below that. And so, because Polaroids got to be, Absolutely. There, there's no latitude in the pull rates. And so I, I, you know how to, I, I'll do a different meter for color negative or black and white film than I do for pull rates. We'll just leave it at that. So it's, I think the, <laughs> the net effect was, it's a very complicated, it's a complicated answer for a simple question. I think in general, I'm, I'm about a, I'm about a stop or two over if you're, if you're looking at, at, at uh, you know, box speed. If I'm looking at stealing what you do. <laughs> well, like I say, when I'm doing, when I'm working with the Pentax and the Mamiya, I'm going to go and spot meter the face. I'll, I'll spot meter the skin and I'll put that, that skin tone and in, in the zone in around zone seven to, to be, it's basically instead of neutral gray, it's two stops above that. So it's, it's basically like being two stops uh, overexposed. Right. And when I'm shooting my M6 and I'm not, I'm too lazy to do anything else. I shoot at the half, half box speed. That's pretty much perfect. Um, I'm I'm not making notes of all of this as we go. Definitely. Um, are you do, are you doing your own developing and scanning now? No, I'm. I just, I've, you know, I got a. Well, my daughter, my second daughter, she turns four in, in a week on Saturday, uh, and I'm I'm really busy at work, and uh, I've got other hobby. Well, I've got a car car hobby as well. So I don't I don't have the time. Unfortunately, I, I wish I could. I, I wish I had a dark room. So I got a guy in town, a good friend of mine, Phil. Uh, who's, who's also a portrait photographer. Uh, he develops and scans my black and white for me. Um, and he's, he's absolutely spoils me because I'll, I'll drop it off. He lives, I don't know, a couple of miles from my house. So I'll drop it off right after I'll go from the shoot to his house, drop it off. He'll usually invite me in for a cup of tea and, uh, cause he's, he's from, he's from your Island. And, um, I get the scans back that night, usually by midnight. So I'll go home, I'll rest. I'll, I'll, I'll eat with the family and then I'll, I'll get up at 11 and jump on the computer and my scans start filing into my Dropbox folder. So it's, he spoils me. Uh, the color work I send off to uh, photo vision prints in Oregon. Okay. And they, they do a great job. Yeah. I wish I had room. I'd love to, I don't enjoy the, I don't enjoy developing at all. I, I just, for me, it's just very, you know, it's, it's routine. It's by the, by the numbers. I, I, I always really enjoyed printing uh, in the dark room and I would, I would get, I'd get lost for days in the dark room and, I haven't had access to one uh, since I stopped, you know, attending Glacelle and and I don't um, I don't have a space in the house really set up for one. But I, I've thought about doing it because I, I really did love that process of printing. You know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the contact printing is just something that I, I want to get into at some point. But this last week, I punched a scanner, so I probably need to get my patience <laughs> levels a bit better with <laughs> scanning, and then I can start potentially looking at something that's incredibly more taxing when it comes to like intellect and the intelligence required to do it. So I'm probably going to knock that on the head for a little while. In the build up to your shoots, are you doing like mood boards? Do you have like a clear direction with the model before you go into the studio? Or is it something that you kind of, you know what your body of work is like, they know what your body of work is like, you're going to kind of see how things go? You know, I, I usually, I'll, I'll talk about it, especially when I'm working with somebody new, just, you know, to set expectation. And, and I, you know, because you know, they're giving me their time for free. It's, you know, it's like, what are you trying to get out of it? What would you like? And so I'll make sure that whatever they're kind of after, whatever they want to add to their portfolio or, or get out of it, I'll, I'll make sure I try and cover. 
so I, I do like talking about it. If it's the first time I work with somebody, then it's, it's, uh, usually we just jump in the studio cause it's easier and it's less elaborate, you know? Um, I used to use stylus and hair, hair and makeup and all that stuff, but now I actually prefer no makeup and, and sort of self-styled hair. Sometimes a hairstylist is fun. So that's, it's nice uh, when you can schedule and organize it for some people that I've worked with before, you know, where it's like, Hey, this is really great. That worked out great. Then, then we'll set up a style shoot or something that's kind of more interesting. So you, you go to the beach and you'll, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll put a mood board together for that with an, with an idea of, you know, clothes and style and hair and, and kind of overall look and feel and, and mood of the, the shoot. Um, some of the ones with, you know, I, I like cars too. So, um, although I don't, put a lot of car pictures up on there anymore, but, um, but yeah, I say if I worked with somebody before I'll, I'll go through the, not trouble, but I'll, for me, it's, it's, you know, to spend time and develop a mood board, you've got to be incredibly creative. And I, I, you know, it's, it's nice that you, you think that my work is creative. I don't feel like I am. My wife is 10 times more. And so I go to her and she rattle off 20 ideas for me. I'm sitting there going like, Oh my God, what do we do next? What's, what's going to be interesting and innovative and different. And I kind of get stuck, you know? So it's, I don't know if it's laziness or intimidation, but I, it's, you know, shooting in the studio is fairly easy. So that's usually where I start, but yeah, I, I do enjoy, I, I enjoy the mood boards. So if we can agree on something and I love shooting at location, I'm just terrible at spending the time to go out and find locations. I need to do it more. Just, it's just very time consuming, unfortunately, you know. I'm not sure if it's an English thing. It's, it's certainly something I've experienced a hell of a lot of in England, but have you ever had the issue where someone wants to work with you, you want to work with them. And when you get to that planning stage, they're throwing ideas at you that just absolutely don't fit what it is that you do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's usually when I get busy. <laughs> no, it's, that's, uh, no, I really, I, fortunately, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think I've experienced that to be honest. Americans have it so easy. You've got natural light. We don't even have like a sky. We've just got like a seven foot high off the ground cloud permanence that never goes away. You've got, you've got all these fantastic models. You've got, they're not trying to get you to shoot stuff that makes no fucking sense for what you normally do. I, I, if you want to switch places for a, for a year and, and really learn what it's like to be in the doldrums of hell, you're more than welcome to swap with me. Yeah. I'd say, you know, Jan, Jan's in Brussels. He seems to do okay. So I, it's uh, I, you know, I love the light in Europe. I think it is different. And, and every time I've gone there and maybe it's, maybe the, maybe, you know, Britain's a bit different. UK is a bit different right now. Uh, but you know, in, in France, I, I want to shoot in Paris. I want to shoot in Italy. I want to shoot, uh, in Spain, you know, it's, um, uh, one of the workshops was in Ibiza. So we went to Ibiza and that was just, God, the, the light was magic. The color of the colors that came out of the images was like this. I would never get this in Texas. The sky is different. The light's different. This color. It's like, I finally started, cause you, you look at some of the work coming, like some of my favorite photographers, they're, they're from, they're from Europe, you know? And so, you're looking at the images going like, how, how it's on film. I'm using the same film. How does theirs look different color wise or, or, you know, light wise. And you go there and you, you rattle off a few rolls, you send it to Carmen Sita, which, you know, they're a fantastic lab in, in Spain and, and your stuff comes back and you're like, Oh wow. What, what just happened? You know? And it's, you realize that, that the colors is, you know, the light's just different there. And it's, so I don't know. It's, I think the light in Texas is really harsh. It's, uh, it's it, and maybe that's another reason I shoot a lot in black and white. So it is ever present. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> I'm going to warn you now that you're going to have a lot of Europeans laughing at you for the way that you said Ibiza, but oh, <laughs> I would Sorry. also stress to any Americans that listen to this who are taking 
the idea that the UK and mainland Europe are in any way similar to just have a look at a map and take very close note of where the equator is in relation to places like Spain compared to the UK. We are essentially, uh, it's hard to explain England really, but we're basically a very cold country that thinks that we are incredibly important and culturally relevant, yet somehow have all the cultural resources of somewhere like the Faroe Islands. So we're cold, we don't have good light. The uh, modelling scenario in England is honestly hilarious, especially since the, the dawn of OnlyFans, which is which has basically turned everything up another notch of stupid. Yeah, so um, again, the offer's there. If you want to come to England for a year, I'll come and live in, in Texas. I'm sure we can figure out what happens after that. I'll definitely promise to keep my word and return when, when that year's up, I promise. I said you're welcome to visit anytime. I might take you up on that. What, what you're saying is Britain's a lot like Canada. Uh, oh, they've got better food oh, okay. and they've got ice hockey, which is a significantly better sport than anything we've got in England. So you've mentioned Brian Muirhead, you've mentioned Jan Schultz. We talked about Peter Coulson. Is there any other influences that traveled with you from when you got started to where you are now? Is there anyone whose work you're constantly excited to see and shoving in other people's faces for them to enjoy? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, obviously, you know, the greats like, uh, you know, Peter Lindbergh, you, you just kind of look at his stuff and it's always, it's always insane. There's, there's, I've got a list of, you know, five or six sort of uh, Italian and, and Spanish and, and French, uh, film photographers. Uh, I, I just love their work. I, I don't know all their names by heart. Unfortunately I should, um, but I've got a list I can, I can send you. Um, <laughs> I like a lot of the work coming out of Europe. I, I mean, honestly, I think that, um, it just tends to be, I mean, I think in the U S a lot of photographers, um, you see a lot of great stuff coming out of New York and LA, I think. Um, but I think in the rest of sort of the U S a lot of kind of cliche trendy stuff that just doesn't weather for very long that you just kind of look, you look at. And I think in Europe, you guys are really grounded in sort of the classics, the classic look of things, at least the people I follow and do. And so, you know, that's, that's what I, that's what I'm shooting for. You know, I'd, I'd never want to look at my an image of mine in 10 years and go, wow, that was really cheesy. Or what was I thinking with that edit or, you know, over stylize or do something crazy. I'd like it to weather time. And so I think that's why I go back to, you know, if my stuff looks like it's from the nineties, great. That's, I, I, I love to hear that. Um, Cause I think that stuff looks good forever. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's what I want. I want it to be simple about expression about, you know, you know, the, the, the mood or the the emotion that comes out of a person in the image or, or that, not about some crazy, uh, you know, trendy style that was good for one year and, and you know, looks kind of kind of silly. And so, you know. I do want to go back to something you've brought up a couple of times, though, which I think it definitely staggered me the first time you said it. And I'm sure people that know your work and don't know you particularly well will be staggered by. And the people that find your work through this podcast will definitely be shocked by is that you're not professional at this. And considering I tend to be the, the devil's advocate in terms of the podcast, so I'll say the horrible stuff, so I'm the bad guy, and then you can come out and sound like the really good guy. But in terms of a lot of the people that are earning a living as a photographer, there's there's a lot of crap out there. There's a lot of very generic, trendy, doesn't live very long in the memory crap that that people, because they're good at marketing or they're good with social media, they're able to sustain income from. The fact that social media has given people this ability to become a professional at something that they're perhaps in the most polite terms probably wouldn't be without the help of marketing. Like, do you feel like social media in that way is a good thing for a creative outlet like photography? Because it does seem to push 
marketing and self-promotion above actual talent and ability? Yeah, you know, it's, I, I, it's, it's really tough. Yeah, you know, I know several professional, really talented professional photographers in Houston and their, their Instagram presence is just absolutely pathetic. And, and um, it's because they don't really need to go to it. I mean, they, they get their work through other mechanisms, you know, through agencies and through, through, you know, directly through their customer base. And so they don't spend a lot of time doing it because they're booked already. Um, and then you see a lot of people and you kind of look at their work and you're like, oh, that's, you know, it, okay, we'll say it's not my style, you know, or my taste, <laughs> you know, sexuality sells. And that's just kind of, it's, it's just, you know, what it is today. I, I don't think my work is sexual at all. Hopefully it doesn't come across that way. It's more about, you know, something deeper with, with the person, but, um, you know, even though they are attractive, attractive people and all typically, uh, but no, I, yeah, I, I don't get the whole self-promotion thing and trying to figure out Instagram's algorithms and secrets. I, I have, I have no idea how all that works to be honest. Some, somebody far, these people are far more clever than I am with all that stuff. Um, it does sort of give me an indication as to what people like. And so not everybody in the world's got, I'll say the same taste. You, you might just leave off the same part and say taste. Not everybody's got taste, but <laughs> it does tell you sort of what people think, you know? And, and so, you know, me being 52 is like, I don't know if I'm just completely out of touch with, with, with what the kids like these days, if I were to sound old and cheesy. Right. But you know, it's maybe, you know, maybe all this is fading away and it's something else and, and we're just kind of unaware. And so I, I try not to, jump to conclusions about what's, what's going to be popular in five or 10 years and kind of the longevity of this. I'd like to think that the style that, that I like and what I'm shooting is going to, is going to be interesting for a long time, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely, the social media thing is it's, it's, it's a very complex thing and I, I sort of love it and I hate it. I mean, I, I wouldn't have found all the models and I wouldn't have had these conversations without it. And so I love that. I play to the algorithm a bit and I hate that I do, but I do. And so, you know, some of the work that I shoot is sort of, it's like, well, I know that this shot or this, whatever is going to work for Instagram. And if I do it this way, it's not. And, and I hate the fact that I even think that way, you know, that, that <laughs> you, you sort of, cause it, it's, you know, it's, I, I look, I look at some of these images I take, you know, and I'm like, I, I see it on my big screen and I'm looking at the image. And I'm like, I really, I, I, I like this, you know, I like what I've done here and it was what I was going after. And I, and then I shrink it down to a phone into the Instagram sort of size of things and it just completely gets lost. And you post an image or two that you like and it, it tanks, you know? And so then you're, you're kind of slapping yourself going like, well, I should have never posted that. And you're going like, why? Cause I love it. You know, this is what I want to put out, but it doesn't look the same. You know, I, I, you, printing big. And I, I, I hate the fact that I'm, I'm some of the work that I create is specifically for Instagram. Now, I guess that's what I'm saying. And I think a lot of people are really good at that. You know, they're, they, they know what works well in the algorithm and they, they tailor and they focus that and, and whether they like that or not, I don't really know. Maybe that's what they like doing. Well, I think like you mentioned exploitative sort of the sexualization element being something that sells a lot. I think that's becoming, uh, I feel, I almost feel like we're getting to kind of a bit of a, a point with that, where it's going to go obviously within the constraints of what's allowed to be on an app like Instagram, I think we are really starting to push the very limit of that whilst, because obviously humans always, uh, like we always escalate. Everything always escalates, you know, that's just the nature of human beings. I do kind of wonder at what point that's going to get to, but something that I sort of have been working through sort of mentally to try and work out what's going on. Instagram has been this constant thorn in my side trying to figure out, not so much to get good at it because I don't care at all, but in terms of what it's doing to people and the psychology of it. Something that I'm quite fascinated by is I think that because we've become so used to instant gratification when it comes to like TVs, 
cameras, the phone, everything is is instant. We don't really wait for anything anymore. Even deliveries now come some on the same day, things like that. I don't think people have the the patience or perhaps the mental ability to push through that initial barrier of not being popular. So you could try something that really speaks to yourself creatively and is is your expression. It's your voice. And it's going to take some time for people to find that. But nowadays, people don't have that time. They have to have instant gratification. They have to get instant validation for what they're doing. And if they don't get that instant validation, which they won't, they go after the trends and they chase the trends. And I think it's the first time in the history of photography, at least, and I think music's had this revolution about five years ago, where demand is being weirdly skewed by what the public is being presented with because people aren't putting out the very definition of what their voice is and we decide whether or not we like it. People are putting out stuff on the simple basis of the intent is for you to scientifically like it because we've checked and this seems to be the thing that drives up the numbers the most. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. You know, I was, when I, when I took that film photography class, uh, you know, one of the teachers I had, her name was Amy Blakemore. She's, she's just, she's awesome and uh, forever a hero. But one of the, we're going through these, um, you know, these, I, I, I told you these, um, these class projects and we'd go review each other's work. You know, we sit down and have cheese and wine after the class and go through 10 images, everybody's image. And the rule of thumb was that you could only have one photo of a baby, a beautiful model or an animal. Because instantly everybody's going to like it. And so it was just cheating, you know, and it wasn't so much anything about composition or light or interest or emotion or anything else. It was just kind of cheating. And I sit there and look at my own work. I'm like, okay, so Amy would pretty much have a, she'd have a coronary looking at my feed because it's just, (laughs) it's all the same damn thing again. And it sort of looks like I'm doing that. I sort of feel bad about that, but it's not at all why I take the images. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, you know, again, I'm moved by, I'm moved by, the emotion you get from the image or, or, you know, my wife, she, she tells me at least that I'm able to capture somebody very beautifully. And, and so, you know, no matter who they are, what they do or whatever, I, you know, I can capture sort of that. And so I, I like that aspect of it, but I, I, I do feel sort of guilty in that area because I do tend to shoot only models, but I do that typically because, um, I, I don't have a lot of time for this. I shoot twice a month on, on a good month. And it's just scheduling and time and, you know, who's got the, I like people ask me for price sheets and this and that, and I don't have anything available. I don't even know what I would charge. I typically don't take paid work. Um, and so it's just kind of easier to, to say, Hey, let me just go find a model to work with and go shoot. And I know I'm going to have some, you know, a, real, a fun time, a relaxing time, creating something that, that, that I enjoy. And that's, that's, that's what it is. So, um, yeah, but having said that, you know, on the, on the, the likes thing, you know, I, I've, I post, I like taking landscapes too. You know, it's very peaceful. I don't get to do it very often, but every time I post a landscape image, it tanks, you know, or a picture of some architecture downtown, you know, it's like, cause people expect now that your feed is a certain, you know, it's got certain content. And so, you know, I've taken some stuff that I, I like personally, I, I've actually printed some of these things out and I've hung into my wall or my kid's wall in, in a room. And, um, you know, it's kind of very soothing and relaxed and it's like a good reminder of where you've been. And, you know, but on the feed, you know, even though I'm, I'm I think I like to work, it, it's, you know, it, it'll get a third of the likes or a quarter of the likes, you know? So it's like the expectation for the audience is very clear and it does, it does 
you know, tend to mold you a bit, which is, I hate that. I hate that fact. So at this point now I'm going to just continue posting it every once in a while and kind of make, make, uh, make everybody kind of suffer through that, I think, but, uh, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll stick to it just because I don't want to be that guy who's not, you know, being true to himself sort of, you know, before we wrap this up and I make sure that I do my bit to push your social media following through the roof compared to where it is now. Cause honestly, at the moment, considering the standard of your work, it's a disgrace that more people aren't fawning over you. Before I do that, I do, I actually don't have a question for you here so much as I have a bit of a plea, which is that I wish more photographers and specifically film photographers of portraits would put together photo books or zines or something that is tangible printed that people can buy. And I would absolutely love to buy a book of some of your work, especially if you want to do a black and white. It's not that I'm telling you exactly how to do this, but if you want to send me <laughs> over contact sheets, I can pick images and everything. But if, if, if you've got any plans at any point to do a kind of photo book or anything like that, because I, I genuinely think it's something you should definitely do. Oh, thank you. I, I, you know, I've thought about it. I, I, I've thought about it. I, the first one I thought about doing was really something focused on, on the Polaroids, you know, because, um, I, there's there really something, there's something else to hold. I'm not sure it would translate to a book, but I could try. Um, but I thought about definitely doing something on the Polaroids, but yeah, maybe I'll do something on the black and whites. I, I need to go on through that effort. My, my website's pathetic. Um, I don't, I, the material's so out of date. It's ridiculous. Instagram is really the only place I, I really post up to date stuff, but I, I, I need to go through that effort. I, right now my office, you, you, you'd laugh because literally my entire forum, I think my wife's going to kill me. She's trying to help me organize it, but I've got three years of negatives all in sleeves, completely in disarray on the floor. And I'm trying to just get stuff organized to be honest oh, right wow. now. So I need to get that done, but going through all that stuff. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to do that. And I, Hey, if you're willing to help me curate it, I'll take you up on that. So be careful. Yeah. And I'll be your first customer as well, because <laughs> I like tangible prints of other people's work. Of my work, I couldn't care less, but of other people's work, I want to have an image that I can annoy people with when they come around, make them look through the book, make them a fan of yours. I become like the de facto dickhead that peer pressures everyone into liking you. That's that's basically what the podcast is in essence anyway. I can't tell you how much I'm I'm thankful for you taking the time to come on here talk to me to definitely give me tips how I can steal what is what what you do in the essence of how I can become you. We need to make sure that we push all of these people listening over to your Instagram and they must immediately start following you or I will kick off. So where is it people can find you on Instagram? I, it's just my full name. So it's uh, Carl Ferris. It's uh, spelled kind of funky. So C-A-R-L-F-E-H-R-E-S. And then the website's, uh, you know, www.carlferris.com. And uh, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to take down the Facebook uh, page I have because I, I haven't updated in three years. So Again, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It's, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. I enjoyed it. <laughs>